Hey, I'm Steve Holland. Thanks for downloading. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for writer Bryce Bladen. I thought what I learned in university translated perfectly to the real world, and that's not it. There's, there's a big gap between theory and reality in that regard. Marketing that was entirely built around sincerely reaching out to someone because I wanted to know them. I would just send out about like 10 to 20 emails a week. They'd be personalized to whoever's on the other end. All they need to do is hit reply. I could take it to the next step, but it was just getting that foot in the door. Kept at it and it built up. I started to get more work than I could take. I, I just had this huge network and it was built around people that I genuinely admired and like I genuinely wanted to work with. Yeah, so Bryce is from Canada and he is the editor-in-chief of the Clients from Hell blog, which you may have seen, does a podcast as well. And actually, after we recorded this one, uh, like a couple of weeks after, I ended up appearing on his podcast and he kind of copied my podcast. So basically, if you've ever thought, and I dare say you haven't, but still, if you've ever thought, I wonder what Steve's freelance story would be if he interviewed himself, yeah, I told you you'd never have thought it, then if you listen to the Clients from Hell podcast, I'll put a link in the show notes, you can um, hear me talking to him as if I was interviewing myself. He even does the truth and lie game, <laughs> I told you he copied it, at the end. So um, so yeah, it's, it's um, if you're interested, go, uh, go take a listen, a link in the show notes, but not before you've heard his story, and that's coming up in a moment. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is the website where there's nearly, I think, 90 guests now for you to listen to and remember it doesn't matter what they do it's all about the being freelance but thank you so much for listening thank you for your comments on the show but also on the vlog which is still going you can find what i've been up to on youtube as well so thanks so much if you're getting involved in there hit subscribe on both the podcast and the vlog let's crack on though and chat to bryce bladen hey bryce oh hey there steve (laughs) thanks for doing this oh thanks for having me yeah i'm looking forward to chatting about many different things but first of all let's find out how you got started being freelance oh geez uh that there's a bit of a story but um i guess this is a podcast and (laughs) that's that's using the medium to its full effect (laughs) so let's let's do this all right so originally way back when this goes back all the way to junior high i swear the story picks up soon um but right around then i was just running so many little side projects um so many little dumb things some of which were intended to get me money, some of which were intended to just flex those fledgling creative muscles, um, all of which were pretty much just based around the idea that I, I really just wanted to do my own thing, as it were. And then once I entered university, fresh out of high school, started writing for a few local papers, and then I had my first real client. Uh, and this was a very unique experience and a very teaching experience, wherein I met this client um, Coming home from a club with my girlfriend one night, uh, he was my cab driver. Very nice man, it should be said. And after we dropped my girlfriend off, he was asking me, like, what is it I do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a writer. Uh, and he asked me if I could write a review for a classic film. Um, and I suggested Some Like It Hot. Um <laughs> And, you know, just like 400, 500 words. And he's like, yeah, just need it for a website or something. And offered me, I think it was $200. Mm-hmm. Which for like, you know, just a beginner freelancer is like, wow, that's that's great. And I was like, sure thing, man. No problem. Um, and then, you know, next morning uh, I emailed him. I, I really did not think this, this could possibly be a real thing. You do not offer a stranger $200. But he immediately paid 100% of what he said he was going to online. 
I was I was taken aback. I was flattered. I, I watched this film. I wrote this review. Spent a couple hours on it, a little bit more than necessary, but whatever. Anyways, to make a long story short, uh, this cab driver went to the nearby community college and writing a review of a classic film was a homework assignment. <laughs> um, a homework assignment that he got caught for being a plagiarist on, because I guess his usual writing efforts were a little bit uh, below my pay grade. Um, yeah, so uh, didn't take any more work from him. But, but he was willing to pay you $200. Yeah, and you know what? It actually did make a bit of sense. Uh, and that was because... So, just... This was like such... This lesson I didn't realize, if I'm being 100% honest, until further on into my career. But I, I often look back on that and, like, A, I'm incredibly grateful that, like, it, it didn't go any farther than that. Because, like, I could have gotten kicked out of university. Um, and I was just <laughs> starting for, like, helping somebody cheat. I didn't realize I was doing it. It seems really <laughs> obvious looking back. Um, but, yeah, so let's let's say that whole thing took me three, four hours to do. Um, if it If this guy had done that for himself, it probably would have taken, you know, at least four or five hours. Um, and he would make more money working as a cab driver than doing that. Now, admittedly, under the context of trying to get an education, no, he's 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 cheating himself, as my mother would say. <laughs> um, but just as a like valuing myself as a freelancer, positioning myself, learning what to charge, like it did, kind of shed some unique light on those lessons. Matt, so so I'm guessing as a fledgling freelance career. You've probably exhausted the amount of cheating cab drivers there are in town. Yeah, so yeah, you're gonna, it was you're a small to change tax. <laughs> yeah, I had to find a new niche. Um, <laughs> that is a great and, niche, though. <laughs> yeah, it was very 100% profitable. Um, and it was, a, you know what? I love Some Like It Hot. It's one of my favorite films. <laughs> but yeah, no, so like from there, I just I started doing all sorts of freelancing. Uh, I, I wanted to write whenever possible. But uh, I happened to go to one of the best writing universities in North America, which meant there was no shortage of writing talent around there. Um, and I was, I was doing a lot of video work. I thought I was going to work in film in the end. Um, like, I, I have a degree in screenwriting, uh, among a variety of other things, because I'm a big fat nerd. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I was just trying to do everything. After university, I even had a photography studio, experimented with specific niches there and specific niches in writing. And eventually, and this is years down the line, uh, I, I finally started to specialize in like branding and high level creative collateral uh, for startups, for businesses, for, for CEOs who need ghostwritten articles. Um, all sorts of communication projects. Uh, so now uh, I'm mostly known as a communication and brands consultant, but at the end of the day, it all just comes down to writing. Okay, uh, let's put a little bit of time frame in there. So sure. when yeah. was university? When was university? I graduated in 2011. 2011. Okay, so six years ago. and, and Six so years ago, Steve. <laughs> oh, my God. No, do you know, I was out with some friends last week, and we realized that we met at university, and this year we will have known each other 20 years. So, oh, that's beautiful. So, so do you know what? Six years is nothing now, I'm, I'm beginning to feel <laughs> like. So you've moved on from Cabby. You've, uh, you're graduating. You're surrounded by other people who are, God damn them, just as talented as you are, perhaps, because you're all doing the similar sort of course. So, mm -hmm. so how did you go about getting those first clients? And, and what were they doing? Because obviously you can sit there saying, oh, you know, a branding consultant or whatever, but 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting figuring out how you get to that point and at which point you have that confidence to call yourself out. So, so what, where did you get those first clients? I've, I've got to stop being so honest with these answers because they're going to make me look like an ass. Uh, if we're, if <laughs> Don't we're tell me, you, you on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. CEO of Enron comes up to me. No. Um, so when I was first starting out, uh, I, I tried all sorts of kind of dumb marketing things. My, my big challenge was uh, fresh out of university. I was not in a great headspace. I, I wasn't dealing with certain aspects of freelancing well, um, particularly just kind of being alone all the time. Uh, I moved to a new city. I was freshly graduated from university. And I didn't have a lot of career direction, so I kind of like floundered in a lot of ways. If you're at all familiar with the paralysis of choice, like if I can do anything, I, I, I do next to nothing. Um, but <laughs> let's get to the happier, more useful stuff. And that was, and this is something I continue to this day, um, and that was just the simple method of doing just a little bit of marketing every day. And the way I made myself swallow this pill was to just make it marketing that was entirely built around sincerely reaching out to someone because I wanted to know them. And then I'd, I'd build it up from there, you know, showcasing value in some way, shape or form. But just dead simple. I spend two to four hours a week, at least. Earlier on in my career, I'd have about 10 to 20 clients I wanted to reach out to, and I'd have a little spreadsheet with just some very basic research, like who do I need to reach out to? Have they put out anything recently? And what do I think this client's pain point is? And then I'd write them a very short email. This is important because earlier on in my career, I was realizing, uh, and this is something I see a lot of first-time freelancers do, they just write these huge like novels to people who haven't even met them yet. And and it's it's a show of enthusiasm, um, but it's also kind of a show of like a lack of confidence because they're just trying to say everything at once and it's, it's a slog. So basically, I, I would just send out about like 10 to 20 emails a week, um, you know, really short, 150, 200 words, and they'd be personalized to whoever's on the other end. So it's not like, hello, sir, madame. It would be like, hey, Christy, um, just read your latest article. I just wanted to say it was great. Thank you so much for that. And then I would maybe try to show a little value or try to genuinely be helpful. Like, I don't know if you've read this article that that kind of complements what you were talking about, or if you've used this tool to solve your problem. And then I'd be like, just uh, like full disclosure, like I'm a writer. Um, and I was wondering if I could learn a bit more about X or Y or Z, or like full disclosure, I'm a writer and I noticed these errors on your website. You don't have to pay me to, to find out these things, but uh, if you ever need help with that, like, uh, let's just have a quick chat. And and the key here would be these emails, all they need to do is hit reply and say yes, and, and that just, I, I could take it to the next step. But it was just getting that foot in the door. I'd send about 10 to 20 of these a week, and early on, I, I was not getting a lot of responses, but I kept at it, and it built up, and... Uh, I started to get more work than I could take, and then I increased my rates, and then I just started to work with more long-term clients doing bigger projects, which I found I liked more, and I found that having done this work, I I just had this huge network completely by accident, and it was built around people that I genuinely admired, and like I genuinely wanted to work with, and even if they did respond, it didn't necessarily translate into work, but it translated into a real connection. Like, let's say, for example, I emailed you, Steve, and I was just like, hey, Steve, loved your latest podcast episode. Thank you so much for it. Here's a tool that might help your podcasting in the future. Uh, Have a good day. Like, who's upset at receiving that? Hmm. Um, So I still do that to this day. Uh, Admittedly, it's not so much potential clients so much as it is people I admire, people I'd like to meet. 
um, people doing work that's really cool. Uh, and yes, in some cases, potential clients. But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's the most, it's the kind of marketing I can really get behind. The kind where you're just, you're going out of your way to let somebody know that they're doing good work. And nobody's upset to find that out. Uh, and, and usually they feel obligated to give you a reply. And that gives you a good chance to maybe find out if you can help this person. So you're spending like half an hour to an hour on that a day. And would you like deliberately, you know, let's say nine o'clock, that's my sitting down and writing to people kind of time. Like, were you regimented about it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it, at least when I realized, like, I, I need to actually do something about this. I need to actually be looking for the work. Realizing that having, like, the most perfect website in the world doesn't mean that anyone's actually going to go to it. Um, like, realizing that putting myself out there is is different from uh, people knowing I exist um, it, it was a very important revelation. So yes, uh, writing those emails became my either beginning of day or end of day routine. Before anything else, I would uh, send out you know two to three emails, do a little research on the next few people I was going to reach out to, maybe even draft the emails and sit on them if I was unsure of them, and then send them out the next day. And then I also realized a few other things, like nobody likes email on Monday and Friday. Send them out on Tuesday, kids. <laughs> um, actually, I started tracking these things. Tuesday emails, you are, they will always be the most likely to get a response. Ah. So as you, I mean, you said that you started to get, you know, bigger clients or longer term projects. Were mm -hmm. they born out of those initial connections? I think so. Um, I mean, like these, the client jobs in the first place? Absolutely. And, and I think, I think reaching out to clients in this way did did kind of give that foundation of trust, as it were. Like, if if you have two people apply to a job, um, and one of them has reached out to you before, um, clearly knows your work, it's, it's the first sentence in the email, um, clearly went to the effort to research your company and to know who they're talking to, and they've already demonstrated some sort of value in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't need to be a lot of value either. Like, you don't need to spend an hour or two hours or five hours on, like, a little mini project for clients. You just need to do a little something that makes their life a little easier. Um, and if you have that person and another person who maybe they have a nice website, but you otherwise don't know anything about the person, uh, which one's going to get the job? Uh, so working with these clients, I just I just consistently tried to make sure I was doing something useful. Uh, I did a lot of things wrong freelancing, but uh, that, that's one thing I feel like I've always done pretty right. Uh, and that's just making sure that the work I'm doing translates into results or goals that actually matter to my clients. And so did you find that you started getting repeat work? I was finding that the kind of clients I was reaching out to uh, were just consistently coming back to me. I, 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 found, uh, I found my niche early on without realizing it. They were coming back to me because they'd want their work again and again and again. Um, and, and there'd be instances where they'd come back really late, uh, like just like, oh, no, like we need something in three days. Um, and often I would just do the work because I was hungry for it. But eventually I realized like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like, you, you have these recurring needs and we keep working together. And like, would you be interested in some sort of more permanent arrangement? Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want a full-time job and I don't think you want to give me one, but like just making sure your needs are always attended to because they keep reoccurring and I can even set aside a little extra time. Um, and because I'd proven myself up to this point, a lot of clients were very into that. And, and that took a lot of the, the desperation out of my need to market myself. So, and, and it allowed me to kind of double down on this, uh, this, this form of sincere marketing. Um, 
And as a result of all that, uh, I, I would I'd basically lock these clients down for at the very least month long commitments. And, and a lot of them grew into uh, like my my project time for clients like now, I, I do not take on a client unless it's a three month project at the very least. Um, or a three-month engagement. And, and that's that's been the case for me for quite a few years now. I like the longer-term stuff. I like seeing the results. And now that I have results that speak to the long-term value of working with me, and, and I build in a lot of systems to protect both me and my client into my contracts. I make sure my clients know and understand these things and how they protect both of us. Things like, you know, when if we just start working together, like, you know, you can back out after a week, you can back out after three weeks, you can back out after a month if like if things aren't going the way we want them to. It has never happened with me and a client. Um, but just but giving them that safety net, like just reassuring them that I'm here to help and I genuinely want to help. And if, if we're not helping each other, we should they should find somebody who can. Um, and like just making it clear that, yes, like that matters to me, too. Uh, it's it's translated into these like really positive relationships where. More often than not, and and I think this is a an important distinction as somebody who runs a website called Clients from Hell. Um, I, I was finding I'm working more so with my clients, uh, figuring stuff out than for them, uh, which is why like your typical employment never really appealed to me. I, I don't like being dictated to, as it were. Uh, not not to get on anything of a high horse, but. And were these local clients, or were these anywhere in the world? I will contact <laughs> you, clients. My longest client I've ever had, still technically a client in a small way, I have never met him, and we have been working together for five years now. Um, and, and the funny part of here is, I think it's he's he lives like a three-hour drive away, so that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, a, a combination for sure. I, I've worked with clients in the UK. Um, again, I'm not from there, if you can tell from uh, my terrible enunciation. Clients in the UK, clients in Australia, clients in New Zealand. I've worked with people in Panama, in Monaco, um, in other parts of North America. And yes, even in Vancouver, of course, uh, there is something to be said for actually meeting in meet space with a with a person. It, it uh, takes a lot of the, again, it's another one of those things that uh, is, it just builds up trust if you can put a, a name to a face. So, I mean, you mentioned that you said, I've done a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. What have you? What have you done wrong? Oh, really? You're going to make me do this in <laughs> public broadcast, man? Well, what, 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 what have you found tough though? What, what have been those sort of key lessons where you thought, "Well, I'm not doing that again." Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think the first one, and I and I kind of touched on this, coming out of university, moving to a brand new city, it became like very lonely. I didn't have that like social safety net. I didn't have any work to focus on, and I, I slipped into like a really ugly depression. And it was one of my own design. Like I just I put myself in a a bad set of circumstances. But from there, the next thing to overcome was actually having confidence in my work. Um, again. It's just a first-time freelancer out in the real world foible that is all too common. But, I mean, it is kind of the catch-22 of freelancing. When you freelance, you're alone, and you don't always have, like, you don't necessarily know if you are doing good work or if you deserve better work or if you're capable of better work or better clients or whatever. Um, And when you work alone, these thoughts can become a sort of echo chamber, and and obviously my head wasn't in a great space, so uh, a real lack of confidence. It perpetuated itself as, like, me not saying no to bad work, me not pushing back on, like, poor client decisions, me not, like, disqualifying clients when I, I knew in my heart of hearts, like, no good will come of this. 
um, I, I wouldn't pursue better clients or work because I either didn't think I deserved them or that I couldn't do better. Um, and I didn't have the confidence to like market myself in a really effective way all the time or to share my work. And then my last thing, and this is one that I, I hate myself for still very occasionally struggling with. Um, but when I was starting out for entirely too long, I tried to make myself a one size fits all freelancer. Um, which is just one of the worst things to be, I think. I think it's it's fine when you're just starting to kind of figure out where you want to go, but uh, I'm not going to put a time frame on this, but I'm going to say for at least a year, I was just trying to be all things to all people. Um, and, and in my opinion, that's kind of like being a tepid, like quarter full cup of water. There's nothing wrong with it, but no, that doesn't appeal to anyone. Like nobody's going to choose that over something a little bit more specialized. Um, God, Bryce, you're a writer. You could come up with a better simile than that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, figuring out what I wanted to do, the clients I wanted to work with, how I personally worked most effectively. Uh, those were those were the huge revelations that once I got past these obstacles, these things I struggled with, those were the fruits of my labor. Um, and a lot of them actually kind of came with that marketing method I talked about. But you you mentioned in there that you you know you felt alone and depressed and. How did you pull yourself out of that negative place? <laughs> well, first of all, I stopped living alone, got a roommate. That helped immensely. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I the actual social thing itself is a is a huge thing, right? Oh, it absolutely was. I well, first of all, uh, I, I said I was living in like Vancouver at the time. Technically, I was living in Burnaby, which is. In the greater Vancouver area. It's a polite way of saying I was in, like, an island of suburbia. There was anyone there was raising a family. Um, and for, like, a 22-year-old or however old I was then, not exactly um, prime social grounds. Uh, <laughs> so I moved more inward to the city. I moved in with a, uh, a friend from university. Uh, I made more of an effort. Like, honestly, a lot of my answer is it's a combination of work choices I made and like personal choices I made. And mm. I guess when you freelance, those things are inherently tied together. But um, I, I made more of an effort to actually do the work to, to set these very, very achievable goals. Like um, that marketing system, that can definitely be scaled upwards. I know I know so many freelancers who spent like 75% of the, their time marketing themselves. Um, and that's fine. And that's great in a lot of occasions. That can get you the really good work that you really want. Um, that, can, that can make all that marketing time worth it. But for me, I just needed goals that I knew I could achieve so I'd keep achieving them. Um, and and that, was, that was one of many things I did to, to kind of get out of that little spiral there. And that was just to make sure I did a little bit of good productive work each day. Mm. Uh, you mentioned right at the start that you you love side projects when you were mm. junior high side project this side project that be it for money or creativity is that something that you kept going uh, as oh, you absolutely absolutely um it and you know what now it's it's usually a combination of both i like uh like you my man i have a podcast and i have uh i think i released two courses last year and a book or two actually god i, I had three books last year um, one of those was through a client, at least. And yeah, little side projects like that. Uh, I mean, Clients from Hell is a blog that uh, started as a side project. It's, uh, I, I found they can be some of your most fruitful stuff in the end, and if not the most fruitful, often the most fulfilling, and can teach you a lot about yourself and what you're really into. So you started Clients from Hell? I did not start Clients from Hell. 
Oh, crap. I just realized I wasn't supposed to reveal that to you yet, but I'm too damn honest. <laughs> well, no, I didn't think you had started it. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. B- b- and because, that was very astute. I, I, I think you know, wherever I have you know, looked into you, it's more like that you're the current editor-in-chief or whatever. It, you know, as in, it doesn't sound like you created it, though you may have nope. done. Um, so, <laughs> what, you know what? so how did that come about then? Uh, so, did you just keep uh, sending stuff to them as you find <laughs> from hell? Or? No, no, not at all. Um, so I've actually never had the actual creator revealed to me. I'm not sure if they choose to remain anonymous. Oh my um, god, it's like some sort of cloak oh, and it dagger. Is, it is a rabbit hole, my Freemason friend. Freemason thing. Here, wow. hold my hand and let me take you down here. So <laughs> I, I was one of the first editors they hired. Uh, the only editor they hired to, you know... Um, take these stories and um, make them look pretty if they were worth uh, making pretty and then put them up on the site. And then the original creator sold the site and uh, I, I, I went along with it. Um, and then we, we grew it from, you know, uh, about 10,000 followers. And I think we're at about almost 800,000 now. So that is actually like, a, well, part of your regular job, I guess, your regular income. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd consider the site like uh, like a client of itself now. Um and it's great. It's fun. It's I love it. But uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So clients from hell uh, with the blog mm-hmm. and the podcast. But then you mentioned courses and books as well. Yeah. Yeah. So admittedly, these are kind of clients from hell products. Uh, but that's all to say what I've been doing now is trying to to build courses, to build books for all those areas of freelancing where I really needed help and I made a lot of dumb mistakes. So like I have a book out right now called Hell to Pay which is all about freelancer finances, like how much to save, how to charge clients, how to invoice clients, how to do all these all these things that uh, people don't really talk about and nobody really teaches you, um, and just to make it as simple and actionable as possible. I, I know these, my, my side projects, when I was uh, in high school, I was making cartoons, I was doing all these cool like CGI stuff, and now my side projects are like, yeah, I struggled with this in my professional life. I should write a nonfiction book about that. That'll get the girls. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't, if you're curious. <laughs> so in amongst that, uh, I mean, you mentioned there the, the finances, uh, mm-hmm. for example. Was that something you, you struggled with? Oh, absolutely. I I never knew how much to charge. I never knew what others were charging. I didn't know how you could make a sustainable freelance writing career actually happened for the longest time and I was really scraping by a lot of the time I was doing jobs that weren't exactly jobs that I was the most qualified for but I I would get myself qualified for them and do them Um, and it it was the only way I could get paid the amount I wanted to get paid until I started to figure out what I was doing wrong and and so much of it was just being a generalist and like not actually solving problems not actually providing a, a kind of value that that clients will pay uh, a reasonable wage for. Um, and once I started to figure that out, once I started to, um, you know, basically stop doing work for exposure um, and, and make it a point, uh, like if you see my feature in creative or, or computer arts or uh, my column in uh, .NET magazine, yeah, those are all paid work, of course. But uh, there, was, there was a time when I would have considered doing that for free because I was just a, a big, beautiful idiot. Um, and and I, didn't, uh, I didn't place value on my work which is, I think, one of the fundamental problems I was having. 
Mm. Uh, okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself. Make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Number one, I used to play uh, video games at the competitive level, which is to say I got paid to do it. Uh, number two, I've moved 39 times. Uh, and number three, I speak fluent Japanese. Wow, good facts. Thank you. You Thank used you. to play video games. Well, which, which video games would you be playing competitively? Uh, Gears of War, Counter-Strike, and Team Fortress. How does one play, play that competitively? Were you like going to... B- b- no, just tell me. I, I'm not, I can't even <laughs> guess. How do you play it competitively? Well, there, there's a whole, esports was not nearly as defined when uh, I was in junior high and high school, but it was definitely a thing. Um, at, at the very top levels, uh, you're part of a team and you can make a ridiculous amount of money doing it. I'll be frank, I was never at the top level. What my role would usually be is uh, I just made a lot of friends going to like uh, LAN, big LAN events, if you know what those are. Basically, just a bunch of computers in a room and uh, a lot of dudes. And and one very <laughs> one very cool girl usually, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it'd just be like a bunch of little tournaments and stuff. Uh, usually at the local level, some of them bigger. Um, and then there was a, a relatively bigger tournament at a LAN, and this team had a, a member get very sick, and he couldn't make it. So they needed somebody to fill in, and then I filled in, and then um, I kind of became like a ringer for any of these big events that would happen uh, in my hometown of Calgary at the time. And uh, wow. Yeah, I'd usually get a, a couple hundred bucks and whatever the prize was. Um, okay. Uh, well, that's good. I, originally, when you said you were like, paid to play computer games, I thought it was maybe like some taxi driver who picked you up at some point. <laughs> I, okay, don't ask about this. but <laughs> Wanted you I, to I play mean... his son and pretend it was <laughs> you. Just hide behind the sofa and pretend it's... Okay. Um, th- what was it? You've Oh, you've moved 39 times. That sounds like a lot of times. That does sound like a lot of times. That sounds like a number you just make up out of nowhere. Are you on the um, run? Like 39 times... Um, Okay, name some of those places you've moved to, please. Uh, Calgary, uh, Vancouver, uh, and Victoria. That's that's the other twist in that statement. Only three cities. Oh, I guess Burnaby, too. Oh, I see. So you just keep not paying your rent and having to be moved on. Right, okay. Yeah, when you were asking like uh, for financial <laughs> advice as a freelance writer, boom. Tip number one. <laughs> 39 times within three... Man. Okay, right. And you can speak fluent Japanese. I might be a little cocky saying fluent, but like, Like, yeah. Okay, for all I know, you've just quoted from one of the computer games that you originally had. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that could be it. That could be the twist. That's how I'm getting away with it. These lies and truths oh. just feed into each other. I hope you've uh, not it's... just said something which will offend the Japanese listeners. Okay. <laughs> Video games, 39 times Japanese. You were very convincing about the video games. Mm-hmm. But having said that, you might have just read an article about how esports got started. 39 times. 39 times. That's such an odd number, but it feels true. And Japanese. I mean, Japanese is such a an odd one for somebody who hasn't moved to Japan, seemingly, within those 39 times, to Have need... Have you not met a nerdy white boy before? Come on, man. To need in Vancouver. No, that, that's a lie. You, you, you can't speak Japanese. Oh? I definitely can't. That was pure <laughs> bullshit. Way to go. 
Did you like the fake Japanese though? I felt real yes. good about that off the cuff. It was like, that sounded like nonsense, but like very distinct nonsense. Cool. Do you know that's cool though? So you really did get played paid to play computer games. Yeah, I mean, I'll be frank, not much. Like, I, I, I made less than $1,000 in the end, and I got a bunch of random computer parts as prizes that I really didn't need, usually. But, um, yeah, I got paid. <laughs> That's still pretty cool. Okay, now, if there's one thing you could tell your younger self about being freelance, what would that be? Oh, jeez. I think the one thing... Hmm. My piece of advice to myself would be to try and figure out, as specifically as possible what it is I wanted to do as a freelancer, and then to take a full-time job for six months doing that. I think that would have been very good at the beginning of my career. I have taken long-term contracts. I have taken contracts where I've worked in a client's office. Usually these would be a little outside of what I really wanted to do. Like, for example, I worked for NRCAN, which is our natural resources here in Canada. Like, doing work with the geographical survey as their only writer on staff, the only person on staff actually who didn't have a doctorate. And that was really cool. That was really informative. Um, but I'd really wish I had like worked in an agency doing brand work full time for at least a few months just to learn the ins and outs, just to learn what it takes and also to build up those those certain work processes that if going from university to being your own boss, like I'll be honest, like, as far as being my own boss is concerned, I can be very convincing about why I shouldn't do work. Like, I am a very charming guy to myself. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I believe in self-love. So it, it was very easy for me to get away with a lot of crap. And I feel like if I had if I had that full-time job experience, um, I would have, you know, I would have had that professional work ethic on a different way. I would have known this world a little bit better. I would have had those initial connections. Um, and I'd also know the difference between, like, because this is one little misstep I made where I, I thought what I learned in university translated perfectly to the real world, and that's not it. There's, there's a big gap between theory and reality in that regard. Um, and so I think a little practical experience in a, in a much more structured environment would have been good for me. Um, and that's just me. That's not necessarily everyone, but I, I think... Um, I don't think you should admonish uh, full-time experience. I, I love freelancing. It is absolutely the lifestyle for me. But I, I think if I had freelanced, uh, sorry, if I had worked at like a full-time place in a, in a good position uh, and I had committed myself to actually not beyond a, a certain amount of time, um, I think I would have cut like two years out of just wasted time I spent trying to figure out a lot of these lessons that I would have learned in this full-time environment. It's a fine point to end on. Um, Bryce, thank you so much. Don't forget, check out beingfreelance.com, uh, where we will put links to everything that Bryce is up to. Check out his courses, books, and the podcast, and uh, Clients from Hell. Beingfreelance.com, all the links will be there. Don't forget, while you're there, hit subscribe. Tell somebody else about it. That would be grand. Bryce, thank you so much. Really nice talking to you, and all the best being freelance. Oh, thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you all so much for listening. 